Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Stacy. Choir, oh, happy day. I'll see if I can put a damper on that for you this morning a little bit. Turn, if you would, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. What a thrill to be back here and to be able to, uh, to come back. Amen. I'm glad that I've still got a job when I got back. Uh, I know Brother Case does a tremendous job, and I heard all of that and, and uh, great services. We're able to watch uh, some on Facebook, too. And, boy, that's always a blessing if you're sick. And uh, we're hopefully going to get a better camera where you can actually see somebody. Uh, but, uh, but you hear the, the, the uh, noise anyway. You hear all of that. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 4. We think this morning for a few moments of turning the world upside down. Uh, beginning Acts chapter 17, would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come here also whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, one Jesus. Boy, they're going to find out one day, they already know that, that there is only one king, Jesus. And they troubled the people, the rulers of the city, when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. Father, thank you this morning for just how we've already been just brought to the very portals of heaven Thank you for the joyful song. Thank you for the song of remembrance about what the scars really mean to us. How thankful we are that even when we're going through rough times, you're there with us. You don't leave us or forsake us. We ask you this morning now, Father, would your spirit have control of every thought that is even understood in this building today. And that, Lord, when all of this is said and done, We'll be able to rejoice over the souls that have been saved, the lives that have been put back together. And Lord, the commitments that have been made for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, we're in the book of Acts. Let me just remind you that the book of Acts is not a good book to base church policy on. The book of Acts is a, a unique book. It's, it's kind of like a trans... Uh, uh, transition type book. There's still the Holy Spirit falls down in, uh, in Acts. The power comes. The church is established. Uh, so if you want to get doctrine, you go to the epistles. But the early church history is found here in the book of Acts. And in uh, verse 6, the Bible says, these that have turned the world upside down and they've come hither also. It's like as long as you're doing something over there, that's all right. We're not worried about that. But when you start digging in my potato patch, something's wrong. Whoa, wait a minute. You, you can turn the world upside down over there, but don't you turn it upside down here. We got what we want here. We're, we're satisfied. We're complacent. I used to always get aggravated with old people that didn't want anything to change until I became one of them. 
And I don't want anything to change. I like to know what's going to go on and what's going to happen. But I'll tell you, every day serving Jesus is a change. You better get in, in gear ready to change because it's all going to change. Now, it's interesting to note that these men were confronted by lewd men, by base men, by wicked men. It was the devil's crowd. It wasn't a religious crowd that came for them. It was the devil's crowd. You see, when these men turned the world upside down, if we turn the world upside down here, the devil's crowd's going to know about it. You know, I thought, boy, what a blessing. What a blessing if maybe Hallsville ISD met tomorrow. And so what are we going to do with that bunch at Woodland Hills? They're teaching our kids that the Bible's the Word of God. They're teaching our kids to stand up to science teachers and say, hey, I don't believe in that evolution rot. I believe we were created in the image of God. You know, I think the devil's crowd would have an alka saucer fit if we began to turn the world upside down. Now, where did they come from? How did all this happen? And what's the therefore of it? Let me just give you a little history here. You go back to the 16th chapter, and uh, Paul has got a vision. And uh, they're saying, come over to Macedonia to help us. And Paul spends about 30 days here is all he can handle. That's it. Uh, he spends a year and a half in a lot of places. Corinth was a year and a half. But here, 30 days. I was in a meeting yesterday, and, and uh, well, Denise, I think, was in on that too. But the guy that got run out of town in the middle of the night, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's kind of how Paul is right here. He done stirred up this stuff, and he's ready to get out of town. He needs to get out of town. But in the 16th chapter, there's a, they're having a prayer meeting down by the river, and there's a lady down there. She's a seller of purple. She's a business lady. Her name is Lydia, and she gets saved. And the Bible says she becomes a friend of the kingdom of God. Praise God for friends of the kingdom of God. Amen. Not everybody's serving the devil today. There's still people who are friends of the kingdom of God. And then they go on a little bit further. And uh, Paul and Silas make a big mistake. They go uptown or downtown. Brother West, would you hand me that water right there? I, I, I'm on about 10 kinds of medicine and this junk driving me crazy. I used to laugh at Case because he always drank water. And uh, now I'm having to do the same thing. I tell you what. Uh, anyway, they, they went uptown, and there was a little girl following them. And she was telling the truth. She was saying, these men are the most high God. These men are the most high God. These men are the most high God. Everywhere they went, these men are the most high God. And finally, Paul got enough of it, and he turns around and casts the demons out of her. Now, you'd think everybody would be happy. But the people who were using her for the money-making was not happy. So she saved. And let me just interject this here, too. Uh, since our kids are gone and we've just got parents in here. Uh, guys, fortune-telling, horoscopes, Ouija boards, it's all of the devil. Don't, don't you let your teenagers have a party and say, well, we're, going, we're just going to have a little fun. What you're doing is inviting Satan into your house. Now, you laugh about it if you want to, but I'm just telling you, that's of the devil. And so she's gotten right now. She's saved now. And then they, they take Paul and Silas, throw them in jail. Along about that night, Paul says, you know, we probably ought to contact heaven and let them know where we are. So he begins to praise the Lord. Anytime you want God to know where you are, just start praising him. They begin to praise the Lord and have a good time with the Lord. And 
Suddenly at midnight, an earthquake comes. All the doors are open to the prison. The prison jailer, the Philippian jailer, he's already got the sword ready to fall on it because he knows they're going to kill him anyway. So I'll go ahead and die now. Paul said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're all here. We ain't going nowhere. We're still here. And the Bible says a Philippian jailer comes to Paul and he falls at his feet and he says, sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And the good news is not only you, buddy, but your whole family can be saved too. And so you wrap all of this stuff up. Here is a lady that's been saved, selling purple, a business lady. Here is a little girl that's been telling fortune uh, all of her life. And now she's got the demons out of her and she's been saved. And here's one of the most wicked men in all of uh, Philippi, the Philippian jailer. And now he's been saved and his whole family's been saved. Wow. They've seen Jesus. See, when you see Jesus, it makes a change in your life. It'll change the way you walk. It'll change the way you talk. It'll change the way your attitude is. They saw Jesus, and we ought to all want to. Isaiah said it like this, woe is me, my eyes have seen the Lord. Come over to Macedonia in the vision, he says, and help us. So they're over there helping them. And then they got in all of this other stuff here. And uh, now, guys, when you get down to the bottom of it, all we need really is the Word of God. That tells us what we were. It tells us what we are. And it tells us what we shall be. And that's really all we need. Now, they've come to Jason's house now because they're looking for Paul and Silas. So they've got Jason. They've got all of him down there, his, his brethren and all of that in the house. And they're going to make a mockery out of them. And they said, look, they assaulted the house. Now, let me tell you something, dear Christian. Be careful who you're a friend with. Now, I'm saying that in a good way. See, if you're friends with some good, solid Christians, they may come looking for you too. Jason wasn't the one casting out demons and all that. It was Paul and Silas. But Jason had put them up at his house. God hid them. When God hides somebody, you can count on it. Nobody's going to find them. So God has hit them. They've got Jason out here. And these wicked men are all accusing them of saying, he's the one that put these guys up that have changed the world. And now they've come over here. What are we going to do about it? We don't want them in our town. We've got things going the way we want it to go. What are we going to do about it? What a blessing to have wicked men say this about us. How could they do it? How could they do it? Let me give you six things here quickly this morning, and I'm through. The first thing I see here is these men had a foundation that had never been shaken. They had never been shaken. See, when you get on the rock, you can't be shaken. These men were solid. I, I've never known a church, I've never known a Christian that ever could do anything for God, for the glory of God, if they didn't have their foundation solid. There's so many people that are wishy-washy and back and forth and back and forth. Isaiah said, I lay in Zion a cornerstone, a sure foundation. These men had a foundation that would not be shaken. What a blessing to find folk like that. The book of Matthew chapter 7, there's two men and they're building houses. One of them, they've got the same materials and all. One of them builds his house upon the sand. One builds his house upon the rock. The floods came, the storms came, the winds came. And the one built on the sand was wiped out, but the one on the rock withstood. I want to tell you, folks, 
Psalm chapter 40, the Bible says he lifted me out and put me on a solid rock. We've got to have that firm foundation. And then he goes on to say here in Acts, there's no other foundation, no other name uh, that we can be saved by. If you're here this morning and you're counting on your baptism to get you into heaven, you're in a mess. If you're here this morning and you're counting on your denominationalism to get you into heaven, you're in a mess. If you're here this morning and you're counting on your good works to get you into heaven, you're in a mess. In fact, Jesus cleared it up for Thomas when he had a little problem with it. And he said, Thomas, let me just shoot straight with you. I am the truth, the way, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Period. Hmm. I don't know how much straighter we can get. I don't know how much clearer it can be. We can sing rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Because he's our foundation. These men had a foundation that could not be shaken. Second thing, though, these men had a first love that they never left. Whoo, they never left it. It's so sad to see Christians today who have left their first love. Man, there was a time when they had a shout. Now they don't want to shout anymore. There was a time when they were excited about telling somebody about Jesus. Now they've got locked jaw and they don't want to share about the Lord anymore. They don't want to praise God. People tell me, preacher, I don't feel like praising God. That's when you need to praise God. When you don't feel like it, that's when you ought to praise God. A love, a thrill, an excitement. In the second chapter of Revelation, the church at Ephesus He is saying, I know your labor, I know your works, I know your patience, I know you've not put up with evil, I know you've tried those who said they were apostles and they were not apostles, I know that you've done all this and been patient, but he said, I got something against you because you've left your first love. What a a sad thing. Don't love like you used to. Don't, Don't pray like you used to. Things are not as thrilling as it used to be. They're not as exciting as it used to be. You remember when you first got saved? You'd stand outside. You couldn't wait for church to start. Now we got people standing out in the hall waiting for church to end. You couldn't wait. I talked with a couple several weeks ago. We were talking about first love. And I was talking about this scripture, and she looked over at him. It was an older couple. And she said, that may be what's happening in our marriage. You've left your first love. And he said, oh, no. She said, uh. She said, you remember, she undoubtedly always carried a hanky. She said, you remember when I dropped my hanky? You may be 10 feet ahead, but you'd stop, and you'd turn around, and you'd run, and you'd pick up that hanky. She said, now I have to pick up my own hanky. She said, you remember when you used to open the door for me in the car? Amen. She said, now we're two blocks down the road. I'm trying to get my leg in the car because you're driving off. (laughs) Maybe maybe we need to look at that. They, They left their first love. Preachers used to be as exciting and and, and they would shout and lift hands and praise the Lord and preach the word. But the cares of this world, the coldness, slips in so easily. They not only had a group that had not left their first love and they had a foundation that could not be shaken, but thirdly, they had a faith that couldn't be shipwrecked. 
Uh, we've got a faith this morning, folks. Now hear me. Some of y'all are not going to be here next year at this time. You're going to get fed up and you're going to be gone. But our faith is on the precious Word of God. There's 39 books in this Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. And I believe it's inerrant. I believe it's solid truth from the part it says Holy Bible on all the way over to the end of the maps. It's inspired of God. And when you start saying, no, this might not be true. Okay, I'll give it a count. This may not be right. Then you're, in, you're headed down a road of destruction. This Bible is the Word of God. If you want to stand on it, stand on it. If you don't, you do whatever. But I want to tell you, the Bible says in heaven, this word is settled. And you're not going to change it. They, they had a, a, a faith that could not be shipwrecked. If you are not careful, you'll find preachers today on television that will shipwreck you. There will be preachers on television and say, it's not God's will. Anybody ever be sick, everybody's going to be healed. Boy, that'll put the funeral homes out of business. Let me tell you, God does heal. Amen? I've seen it. Many of you have seen it. I believe it. But I want to tell you, sometimes God doesn't heal. Sometimes he heals spiritually for eternity. To be absent in this body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, we, we've got to come to reality in some things. You'll find preachers that'll say, well, if you're not healed, you just don't have strong enough faith. Hmm. You'll find preachers on television that'll tell you the blood's kind of watered down. We don't need to talk about the blood. Let's don't talk about sin. Let's don't talk about hell. Let's don't talk about these things that upset people. There's no such thing as a new birth. The great thing going around now is not having invitations. I'll tell you, we have an invitation. We're going to have an invitation. If, you, if you're challenged, I'm not a teacher, I'm a preacher. I didn't come to tickle your ears. I didn't come to make you my friend. I came to preach the word of God, and I'm praying the Holy Spirit of God will convict you, and you'll make decisions, not for me, not for this church, but for the glory of God. That's what invitations are all about. And these guys that don't want to do no invitation, they're dead. We heard a new term yesterday. I like it. Dead as last year's bird nest. Well, if I was going to give that, I wouldn't give an invitation either. You go up in the hills of Kentucky and Virginia and West Virginia, and they'll carry, they'll, they'll carry snakes around in their coats. And they believe that they can prove their faith by handling that snake. Now, they got a lot more faith than I got. I can prove my faith by setting a world record running from it. A dead snake, live snake, big snake, little snake, I don't care what color it is. I don't like those. But I look in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews and I see all those victories there. And I read verse after verse, and by faith, and by faith, and by faith. It's by faith we walk today. It's by faith we're saved today. It's by faith we have eternal life today. And it continues on, and by faith. Been saved almost 60 years. Faith got me saved. Faith keeps me saved. One of these days my faith going to turn into sight. And I'm going to see what I've been believing by faith. Well, they also had a fire that had never been quenched. <laughs> Whoo! I looked that word up. I hate to go to church that's cold, dead. John the Baptist said, there's one mightier than me coming. 
He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with F-I-R-E, fire. Hmm. I looked that word quench up. Quench means to smother. In other words, we're so scared God's going to do something, we're trying to smother it down. Try to keep it down. Years ago, I knew the preacher, something was wrong. I was in a revival, and he didn't want me there. and I, I, I could tell that. And he finally leveled with me, and he said, you know, we, I'll be honest with you, we, we know your reputation, and, and you're halfway charismatic, and we're scared you're going to carry our church over the edge. I told him that Tuesday night, I said, I got some good news for you. Your church ain't nowhere near the edge. You couldn't carry that thing over the edge for nothing. Man, I mean, anytime somebody wants to get happy, ooh, smother it down, smother it down. Uh, I don't, it, it, we got any Nazarenes in the house? Any Nazarenes? I love Nazarenes. They're about the closest thing to us as there are, I guess. I guess. Anyway, I, I read after a, an old evangelist, Uncle Buddy Robertson. He was an old evangelist for the Nazarene church, and he was tongue-tied. And he said, uh, and of course you hear him in these old sermons and all. <clears throat> he said him and his brother were out plowing and the, the, the mule wouldn't plow. The dude just stood there like a lot of stubborn church members just stood there. And, and finally his brother said, buddy, go in the house and get us some newspapers. And they brought those newspapers out there. And under the belly of that old mule, they built a fire. And old buddy said, when that fire hit that mule, that mule plowed all day long. <laughs> he never looked back. Let me tell you, when the fire of God falls, we're not going to look around. We're going to be praising the King of kings and Lord of lords. <laughs> Whoo! I'll give you the fifth thing. They had a friend that they were not ashamed of. Three times Paul testified, did I tell you what the Lord did for me? Let me tell you what the Lord did for me. Over and over again, this is what the Lord did for me. Now, we can justify however we want to. I'm talking to myself all the way on down. But the bottom line is a lot of times we're just flat ashamed of Jesus. We go to restaurants. And I'm, I'm halfway ashamed to be around Brother Dale. He'd love to start singing in the middle of a restaurant. And here I am with my head bowed or in the airport or anywhere else. Folk, I want to tell you, mm, they had a friend that they were not ashamed of. Ashamed of the one who came from heaven and left all its glory to come down here to this earth. What a transition. What a transition. And then to be raised as a poor carpenter's son. And then to have people accuse you of wrongdoing when you've never done anything wrong and go to a mock trial and then go in the upper room and then go to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and, and then go to Calvary and be crucified on a cross and be buried in a bar a tomb there. You don't even have your own grave site. And then to rise again on the third day and then ascend into heaven and then tell me he's coming again for me and you want me to be ashamed? They had a friend. They weren't ashamed of Jesus. That's why the church, nobody pays any attention to it anymore. 
We've lost our power. We've lost our excitement. They had a friend they were not ashamed of. Let me give you the last thing and I'm through. They had a fear of the terror of the Lord. If you were to ask me one thing about the church that you think has just gone downhill and it's probably the reason why we're where we are today is because people don't fear the Lord anymore. We have an idea that we can live any way we want to live this week and then come in here on Sunday, make a couple of prayers, uh, and, you know, I, let's just shoot straight with us. We're not doing any more than counting beads like the Catholics do. Bless God, we may ought to get us some beads. It may remind us more. I'm telling you that there was a fear of the terror of the Lord. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men to be saved. We go for it. We, we struggle with them. We want them to be saved. Why? Because when you die and you're not saved, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you go to hell. We can sugarcoat it or whatever you want to, but I'm telling you, there's no other choice. There's not a purgatory. There's not a go pass a go, collect $200. There's not another chance five years from now. I'm telling you, it, listen, I don't believe judgment is about to start. I think judgment's already started. We're living in last days. And if you've got friends and you've got family that need Jesus, now's the time you better be telling them about Jesus. It amazes me sometimes of how we can go on in life like nothing's going on. And we can condemn other people and we can be big shots in the church. And we've got family members and we've got friends and we've got relatives who are going to go to hell. And we're not afraid of the terror of the Lord. Man, they done had an earthquake. They done had a fortune teller get saved. They, they done had a seller of purple get saved. They said, they, this bunch here has turned the world upside down. And now they've come in here. If it's not so, then nothing's so. This is God's word. He says it's so. I believe it. When a man dies without Jesus, there's no hope. That's one of the reasons that we're doing the one plus one plus one starting next Sunday. We're going to ask you to just think of one lost person. And one time a day at 1 o'clock for one minute, you're going to pray. You're going to pray for them, and you're going to pray for you. Because, listen, here's the, here's the bottom line. Could I just tell you the bottom line, what God showed me? God showed me that before I need to talk to my neighbor about the Father, I need to talk to the Father about my neighbor. And for eight weeks... We're praying, God, give us an opportunity to talk to our neighbor or to our friend or to our family member about the Father. Now, I'm just stupid enough to believe this, that if we by faith will do that, the Holy Spirit will open the door for us to, to talk. And I, I didn't fall off a turnip truck. I know five, 600 people in here. I know they're not, all of y'all are not going to do it. Some of you sitting there saying, oh, I can't wait to get out of here. I tell you, that's the goofiest thing I've heard. But let me tell you, if there's 25 of you that'll join me, 
we'll turn this world upside down. We'll turn this world upside down. That's what this world needs. They don't even know they need it. They think they need more money. They think they need better jobs. They think they need better cars. They think they need better houses. And in reality, what they need is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're sitting here with Jesus, everything we need, and we're not sharing it. I know it's the Holy Spirit that knocks on hearts' doors and draws them, but he uses us. He uses us. We got folks that drive these buses. I know, and I understand what they're talking about. God gets the glory. But I want to tell you, God didn't put the key in the bus and turn it on. You did. And I praise God for you being used of God to do that. I know we give God the glory for teaching our children and young people. But I want to tell you, God didn't sit in there in a class with 15 three-year-olds like World War III. You did. And I thank God that he used you to do that. And God's got a purpose for every one of us in this building. And I hope you find that purpose. But I want to tell you this. I don't care who you are sitting in this building. It is your purpose in life to tell others about Jesus. You don't have to get a college education. You don't have to go through a study course. You don't have to be uh, licensed or anything. You just need to tell what happened to you. And if nothing's happened to you, Keep your mouth shut. Don't say a word. But if you can testify that you was on your way to hell, you may have been wrapped up in gambling, you may have been wrapped up in sexual affairs, you may have been wrapped up in whatever you wrapped up in, and the Lord Jesus Christ came and picked you up and put your feet on a solid rock, you need to be telling folk about that. Because that's where this world is today. These men, Turn the world upside down. And now they've come here. God help that be so. God help that be so. Father, thank you this morning for your power, your Holy Spirit in this place. Lord, there are those in this place that more than anything in this world, they need to be saved. And I pray, Lord Jesus, your spirit would have the freedom to touch them on the shoulder and say, I'm talking to you today. You're the one I want to be saved today. Maybe there's some in this place that need a church home. Maybe there's some that just needs to take their husband or wife by the hand and come and just pray. Maybe there's some here this morning that would say, oh, I remember when I was so excited, I'd go out on Monday night or Tuesday night and tell others about Jesus. But, you know, I, I've kind of grown out of that. Oh, God, build a fire under us again. Get us excited for all you've done for us and for all you're going to do for us. We claim the victory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand as Brother Aaron leads us? Any decision, come on right now. Come on. You Christian, lead the way. The altars are open. Within, you come. Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? 
Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. He's calling you. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ.